was good. Good worship. Yeah, so good. Uh, so good. Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm the luckiest man in the world. I love, uh, love being your pastor. I love worshiping with you. It's pretty tight in here this morning. Uh, very tight, actually. The front row is even full. Steve Gibbs is sitting right beside me, nearly in my lap. Um, and so the first thing he did was lean over and say, I did remember to use my deodorant today. <laughs> to which I replied, what I usually say to most everything these days, I said, awesome. Because, you know, I mean, awesome. Because, you know, we're worshiping just like this, you know, right, right, right next to each other. But, but that word awesome, I, I know that I overuse it. I overuse it because awesome is an awesome word. You know what I'm saying? There really aren't a lot of words that, that capture what awesome says, to, to be so full of awe, you know? So if I've used the word awesome just to describe, you know, Steve Gibbs' axe body spray or brute or whatever you're wearing today, if I use awesome to describe Steve Gibbs, then I don't have any real words left over to talk about God. You know what I mean? And our culture is sort of in that sort of crisis. We have really um, ruined language to the extent that words almost don't mean anything at all. And we're used to it, actually. We're just used to it. We accept that. Then our culture, almost every word is used and abused and, and, and overpromises. Many of you live in neighborhoods, for example, with names like Hunter's Crossing or, or Claiborne Farms. Okay, you understand, they bulldoze the farm to build your house, right? There's no farm there. And in Hunter's Crossing, hunters haven't crossed there in decades because their house is 10 feet from each other. I mean, you get that? We use words to describe what really isn't even there. At Walmart, the tomatoes have this big sign over that says, Vine Ripe. And the tomatoes are like pink tennis balls. I mean, they haven't ever been near a vine, as far as I can tell. A computer company has a new slogan, and the slogan is, nothing is impossible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the computer? Let's try to get my mama to stop Facebooking in all caps. I mean, you understand? <laughs> nothing is impossible. We just use words. <laughs> my mama's not in this service, so it's okay. <laughs> but if you see her, let her know. <laughs> we honestly don't even pay a lot of attention to words anymore. We just expect that everything is going to overpromise and underdeliver. We just expect that the words will be somehow unhinged from meaning, and we've gotten used to that. My concern is if we actually accept so much meaninglessness with everyday language, it makes me wonder how we relate to the words that come out of our own mouths. And this is something that the book of James takes very, very seriously. Open up again. We're in the book of James in a series entitled, To All the Scattered Ones. James, the brother of Jesus, the servant of the Lord, is now writing to Christians everywhere. And it's a very practical, good, good, good message. Already he's prepared us for the fact that he's going here. In, in chapter 1, he's already said, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry. That was our first little preparation. Then in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, uh, you're only fooling yourself. So honestly, by the time you get to chapter 3, you ought to be ready for this. You should know that this is coming. Uh, James is going to talk about controlling the tongue, controlling your words. 
Let's read the scripture together. James chapter 3, verse 1. Listen, listen, listen. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. I'm going to let you think about that a second. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that that makes grand speeches, but but a, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is itself set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame their tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a bitter spring. James has several little analogies here that help us understand the power in something so small. Uh, Something as small as your tongue. Something as small as a stray word. I want to give you another kind of illustration. I want you to watch this video. This is an actual recent newscast reporting on something that went wrong on the set of the TV show Mythbusters. Anybody know Mythbusters? You know Mythbusters? They basically take all kinds of different myths and they test them out scientifically. This particular test involved testing uh, the, the, the velocity and range of a of an old cannon and a cannonball. This cannonball is the size of a grapefruit, but the cannonball went loose. Okay, so here's the news out of Los Angeles, I believe. Take a look.
could you preach the sermon now just from that? Yeah, it's, it's the unexpected, unpredictable kind of damage that would be caused by a stray cannonball. Uh, they were testing to see how far a cannonball, how fast a cannonball would, would travel. They were in the desert. You, you, you caught that, right? The, the cannonball sort of went stray. It went over the mountains. It went seven football fields distance into a house, the first house. It went through every wall of the house, bouncing around through the floor ceiling, out the back of the house. Did you see the hole like a cartoon? perfectly round hole, and the cannonball was still going. It went through another house, went through the roof, hopped the interstate, landed in a minivan. Yeah, we're talking about sort of the unpredictable damage caused by something that goes stray, and James wants to talk about your mouth. Now, are you able to make that connection? There was this lady uh, that I know whose family had the very affectionate nickname for her. The nickname was Bullet Breath bullet breath because when she talked she would leave body bags in the room you, you understand I mean that's just her mouth and and do you know anybody like that because this is what James is trying to get you to understand that there is incredible potential for damage there is an incredible unpredictable sort of damage that takes place when your mouth runs and you're not in control of what's coming out this is the message that James has today verse 1 dear brothers and sisters not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every way. I, I want to be honest enough to acknowledge what is obvious, and, and that is when James begins this lesson, he starts by applying it to himself. James is a pastor. James is a teacher, and before he starts talking about how much everybody should control what they say, he acknowledges what is very, very important, and that is those of us who speak in public, those of us who presume to teach or preach in God's name, we are going to be judged at a higher standard. The King James says there will be a higher condemnation. So let me be honest enough as well to apply this lesson to myself first. I recognize that because I have a lot of people who listen when I talk, that means there is much greater potential for harm and, and damage, and I'm humbly aware of that. The, the danger for me is that I will preach things I don't practice, and I declare to you that I do. If I could only preach to you the things that I practice well, we would have very little to preach. So, so, so I, I will say that. I, I often preach things I don't practice well. I also will say up front, I, I sometimes preach things I don't even know much about. God help me. Uh, but, but sometimes I talk about things I just don't know much about because I talk so much. And God help me, I need to talk less. The burden for a pastor or a teacher in the church is that you must study, you must prepare. The word of God needs to come from God and not from inside of me. But in order for me to bring a word of God to you, that means I have to put myself before God every day of my life and listen to him and get that word from him and come back with scripture and bring a word from God. That, that, that is my responsibility. But, but I will confess sometimes I don't study enough, I don't study well. And I just want to let you know that, that preaching without study isn't preaching, it's just talking. 
Preaching or teaching without study, without the time spent before God, it's not preaching, it's just talking. And sometimes I'm just talking in front of you because I haven't studied. I haven't gotten the word from God. Forgive me and God help me. I don't want to be that, that empty kind of preacher. Of course, the other danger for preachers or teachers or anybody who talks and a lot of people listen is just the simple fact that there is, um, there is the multiplication of potential for harm. Y'all ever hang out at the skating rink when you were kids, rainbow skating rink back when, in, in the day? Or I don't know what it's called now, skate box? Is, is it the skate box now? Uh, whenever you skate, you always get a little bit thirsty, I do, and hungry, and the concession stand looks look, is always looking pretty good, but, uh, but then you go stand in line with skates on. Have you ever done that? Uh, and, and I'm the guy you don't want to be with. I'm actually a pretty good skater, but when I'm just standing still, I, I, uh, my mind doesn't focus on staying on my feet. Uh, so if you're in a line of people, everybody on skates, and one guy goes out, what happens? You take out the whole concession stand line. I've done that several times. I mean, if I go, you know, you just take everybody right off their feet. And it is the same principle for those who would preach or teach in the church. This is what James is saying. There's a higher standard because there is the potential to lead other people astray. There is the potential to knock other people off of their feet. Those who speak, preach, teach in church there's a greater condemnation, the Bible says. I recognize that, and, and, I, and I, I beg for your prayers. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, James says, for if we could control our tongues, we would be, say the word, perfect. If we could control our tongues, James says, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in Every other way. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. Now, this is the word of God, and so I presume that it is true. So if, if this is true, James is telling you and me something very, very important about our Christian lives. That, that, that very truly, the that the keystone habit for you, that the, the keystone habit is to learn to control your tongue. Because if you could control your tongue, you'd be perfect in every other way. It's, 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 it's a keystone habit, I, I, I would call it. Often when we're trying to, um, to allow Christ to change us, and only Christ can change us, when we're allowing to cooperate with what Christ is doing in our lives, we ourselves want to change, we wanna be better. I want to be better. I see my faults when I read the Word of God, and I want to change. But change is very, very difficult. Can I get an amen? I mean, change, personal change, is, is very, very difficult. I am a creature of habit, and I fall into patterns of behavior, and sometimes it's overwhelming. It's not just that I need to change something small. Often, I need to change a, a lot of things. I can get so far off the path. And the idea then of trying to change to become like Christ, to allow him to change me and to recognize in how many ways I have to, to, to be different and how many ways I have to behave uh, in a radically different way, it's, it's absolutely overwhelming. If I had to exercise self-control in all of the places that I'm out of control, I, I promise you I'd be completely overwhelmed. I'd stop and give up. 
But this is part of the, the truth that what James shares here. That there are keystone habits. In other words, habits have this tendency to sort of cluster around one habit. And so truly, as we experience the sanctification of Christ, as Christ changes us, the important thing to realize is, is that there are often keystone habits. There will be one big habit. And if you can identify that, and if you can control yourself there, if you can, by the power of Jesus, take control of that one thing, you will find that other things will also fall into place. This is what James is saying here. Controlling your tongue is, is a keystone habit. When you learn to do that, you will find, James says, that everything else will fall into place. Now, very practically, you've probably experienced this. I was counseling a, a, a good man, a good Christian man, who, who just felt like his whole life was out of control, and at that time it was. Now, his big complaint was what he felt like was, was an addiction to Internet pornography. That was what was, he felt like the, the poison in his soul, and, and it was. But, but you add to that the way his marriage was just sort of falling apart. You add to that the way he felt completely out of control in every other area of his spiritual life. He, he just simply could not develop habits to read his Bible and pray or, or even to go to church. And he just struggled because he looked at all of this, his marriage, his, his life at work, his devotional life, this horrible, horrible obsession with pornography and on and on and on it went. It was overwhelming for him. But he came back to Christ, and he was begging Christ to help him get control of his life. And I prayed with him, I counseled him, I worked with him. I, I had not much to do with it other than praying for him. But, but understand, he came, came back to me later and said, Brother Tim, you'll never sort of believe what I discovered. I said, well, what was that? He said, I discovered if I just go to bed early every night, if I just go to bed when my wife goes to bed, everything sort of fell into place. I said, really tell me about that. He said, well, when I, I used to stay up after my wife went to bed, and that's when I would surf the Internet. And then I would feel so guilty for what I was doing, and my wife didn't know that, that it created distance between us. And, and I tended to stay up so late that I never could get up early. But, but when I just started going to bed with my wife, I no longer stayed up late and looked at the Internet. And, and that habit just sort of lost its appeal to me. And, and then I could get up earlier. And I found that when I got up earlier, I could both exercise and have time to read my Bible and, and, and pray. And once I started going to bed early, it sounds too simple, doesn't it? It sounds almost like you're kidding me, but, but this is the truth. that There are keystone habits. There are sort of big pieces of your life, and when you put the big pieces in their place, other things will begin to fall into place as well. And this is what James says, that controlling your tongue is, is a keystone habit. He goes so far to say that this might be the most important habit of all. When you do this, when you will take control of what is pouring out of your mouth, when you learn to control that by the power of the Spirit, you'll be perfect. And you'll be able to control yourself in every other way. That makes sense? Controlling your tongue is, is a keystone habit, a, a keystone habit. So, so what is it that makes my words so important? Why do they matter so much? Because as I said coming in this morning, in our culture, most people just don't pay a lot of attention to words. 
We've gotten to the place where we don't even expect politicians to tell us the truth. We just assume that if their lips are moving, they're lying to us. We really don't have any sort of high standard for truth. We don't necessarily trust even what we hear on the news. We don't trust what people tell us. We just no longer put a lot of stock in what people say. So so why does James put so much stock in what we say? Doesn't he know we all just talk all the time and nobody pays attention? Well, it... It's really not the way you think it is. Turn back to Matthew chapter 12. Let's go to red letters and see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Let's start in about verse, I'm going to read several verses. Let's start in about verse 34. Jesus is talking to the religious people. Let's go back to verse 33. Will that mess you up? 33. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. Again, remember, he's talking to religious people. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Oh my goodness, Jesus is talking about judgment day, the day you stand before him. And what he points out here is on that particular day, they're going to pull the transcript. You know what that is, right? They're going to pull the audio from your life. It's as if God has been listening in since the first time you said your first word, which was what? Cup? Uh, Understand. God has listened the entire time. And though sometimes you didn't listen to what you were saying, God heard every word. God listens, and you will be judged on the basis of every idle, every loose word. Remember that cannonball flying through Los Angeles? You you, you understand? Every loose word, the things you say, and you didn't even pay attention when you said it, the things you say and, and you thought that everybody would just forget about it, God doesn't forget. It says very clearly here, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Now, why does Jesus put so much emphasis on our words? Because he says, out of the abundance of the, say the word, heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So very plainly, your words reveal your heart. Your words reveal your heart. It comes out of you because it's in you. It comes out of you because it's in you. No, Brother Tim, you don't understand. My wife just makes me mad. If she didn't make me mad, I wouldn't cuss. No, 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 sir. You understand that filth comes out of you because it's in you. It has nothing to do with your wife. It comes out of you because it's in you. Man, a while back, somebody said, so-and-so goes to your church, Brother Tim? I said, yeah, he goes to my church. I I was actually pretty proud for a moment. Yeah, he goes to my church. He said, well, you should hear how he talks on the golf course. Yeah, he goes to our church. (laughs) Wow. Is, is it just golf that brings that out of you, sir? No, no, no. It, it's coming out of you because it's in you. 
Now, sometimes somebody may overhear one of your stray words. You say, listen, I'm sorry. That's really not me. That's not me. That's not how I talk. Now, who are you kidding? That is you. You understand? The best way truly to understand who you are is to listen to how you talk. Because out of the abundance, out of the overflow, what is pouring out of your heart is going to spill out of your mouth. Your mouth, your words reveal your heart. And while we're at it, this definitely applies to social media. Understand? Out of the abundance of the heart, you tweet and you update your Facebook page. You understand? Those are words too. And the amazing thing about our texting culture is that people will text what they would never say face to face. Am I right? People will text things that they would never even say to somebody's face. You'll put on your Facebook page, which you wouldn't necessarily say if you were looking at a room full of people. But but you don't understand. Those are your words, too. And it's coming out of your heart. We can tell a lot about you by reading your Facebook post. You understand? You know? Lady goes on Facebook and says, I got a bunch of no good kids, and you know who you are. That's the day we knew Mama was on Facebook, actually. <laughs> now, you, you've seen that? You've read that? You think, my, my goodness, don't they understand how many people read this? Don't they understand that people read it? You ever looked at the words that come out of people? Do you think, don't they understand that people actually read that? People are listening to that? It, it comes out of you because it's in you. Your, your words reveal your heart. Well, you don't understand, Brother Tim. I, I'm just honest. I'm just like my mama. I, I just always say exactly, you know, what, well, what's the truth? I, no, 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 you're mean. It's not being honest. You're mean. And while we're at it, your mama was mean too, I guess. B- but you're mean. You're mean. That's meanness. That's not honesty. It's, it's just meanness. And, and you need to recognize that. Your words reveal that. But, but don't miss what James says. We can make them in verse 3 now. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. All right? And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So James gives us two analogies there, two metaphors, and they had to do with steering. And it's very interesting. Because I think part of the truth he wants to communicate here is that it's not just that your words reveal your heart. Your words also, in an important spiritual way, your words will steer your heart. Words reveal and words will steer your heart. It's like the temperature gauge, temperature control on the side of both walls right here. And you don't pay attention to those, but but they're there. Just know that they're there. Uh, Those boxes will do two things. I can first go over there and I can see in one of the windows the temperature of the room. So that box actually will tell me the temperature of the room and that's helpful to know. But also, and they're locked up for this reason, you can go over there and you can push buttons and control the temperature of this room. Understand? So that, that thermostat control does two things. It will tell you the temperature of the room, but it will also change the temperature of the room. And James says your tongue sort of does the same thing. It will reveal what's in your heart, but it will also steer what's in your heart. When you can learn to control what's coming out of your mouth, you can actually have an effect on the direction of your life, the direction of your heart. Now, now let's be very honest. You can't change your heart. 
You do not have the control. You do not have the power. You can't change a heart. Only God can change a heart. Only God can change what's inside of you. That's why we need Jesus. You understand? You can't change your heart. But once Jesus takes control of your life, once Jesus begins to alter your heart, you do have to participate in what he's doing. As Jesus takes control, you have to surrender to what Jesus is doing. And a large part of that surrender is surrendering your mouth. You have to surrender your words. You have to see to it that nothing comes out of your mouth that would not please and lift up Jesus. You have to make sure you don't say something in the name of Jesus that would offend a person who's created in the image of Jesus. Do you understand In other words, the, the, the negative stuff, the crud, the, the death. James literally says that, that the tongue is, is a fire and it's, it, it is set fire by the fires of hell itself. So literally, when you are speaking loose and, and mean, you are giving people hell. That's what James says. And it's coming out of your mouth. And it's coming out because it's in you. But if you will learn not to give those thoughts expression. If you will not let that stuff bubble up out of your filthy heart, do you understand? These ideas, these thoughts, th th this, this crud inside of you, it needs outside air to live. And if you don't give it that, if you don't let it live by speaking it, then it dies inside of you. This is part of how Jesus changes our heart, by changing the way we speak. Y your mouth, it, it reveals, but it also steers your heart. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil, full of deadly poison okay it's frustrating because on the one hand he says you've got to do this you've got to learn to control your tongue he's already said if you do not control your tongue you're fooling yourself your religion is worthless but now he says nobody can do it i guess he's saying it's something we must do but it will be a lifelong struggle it, it will be a lifelong struggle. This is something that you have to take hold of in your spiritual life, and you have to start today. So how do you do it? Let's get real. How would you control your words? How would you control your tongue? Well, let's just start with, with the obvious. Let's say that I could go out front on the front porch of the church, and let's say it's a windy day, and I take an old feather pillow, you seen those? It's an old down pillow, and I, I cut open the bottom, and I stand out in the wind, and I just, just shake every single feather out of that pillowcase. Can you picture that? And the feathers just fly, okay? And then let's say I gave you the job to go around and gather all of those feathers again. What would you tell me? It's, it's impossible. They're, they're, they're gone. And, and you understand this, right? You, you know this, that that once you let the words fly, you, you can't take those words back. Once you've said it, you can't unsay it. And we sometimes speak horrible things into the lives of people. 
And everybody you know, everybody alive is a lot more sensitive than you and I understand. We're all sensitive. And we say things that just destroy people. We say things that that are not true, and then we have to spend the rest of our lives trying to keep up with the lies that we've told. The the point is, you you can't unsay it once you said it, so you have to learn to to nip it, you have to learn to zip it, you have to get to the point where you just don't say everything that pops into your mind, because some of what pops in your mind is coming from an evil heart. Make, Make sense? So you simply absolutely got to learn to get control of it before you say it. You just cannot let yourself say it. I think one basic rule of thumb is to learn to talk to people and not about people. Most of us could avoid a lot of traps if we would just do that. You talk to people, not about people. There was a lady named Allison who was in a church, a Christian church. She thought she went to church with friends. There was uh, this horrible uh, rumor, uh, just rumored party that started with uh, for the ladies that Allison consu- considered her best friends. They were explaining something in her life that they didn't particularly understand or agree with, and these four ladies had been calling and texting and talking about Allison for weeks before Allison realized what they were doing. And it really hurt. So Allison went to one of her friends, one of her so-called friends who had been talking about her behind her back, and she just why? why did you do that? Why did you and the three others... Why were y'all saying these things about me? And the friend said, Allison, we were just really concerned for you. We were only talking about you in that way because we care. Allison said, I had four friends that were talking about me for weeks because they say they care, but not one of them cared enough to call me or text me or, or come to me. If they were concerned about anything in my life, not a single one of them were concerned enough to come to me. This is just real life now, people. Do you understand this? We talk way too much about people, but we don't talk to people. Well, well, I don't always feel comfortable going to people. Well, then you need to shut up. You understand? You do not have the option to talk about a person behind their back. That, that is gossip and that is sin. And there is just simply no excuse and no rationale for doing that as a pattern. You, you can't do that. You talk to people, not about people. And if you really don't have the courage or the concern to talk to that person, then you just need to be quiet. We don't talk about people. We talk to people or or we just keep silent. Does that make sense? That's hard. But that's just the truth. Talk to people, not about people. I think for most of us, if if we could just hear ourselves, if we had to listen to ourselves talk the way other people have to listen to us talk. Remember the first time you ever heard your voice recorded? I I remember one Christmas I got a little reel-to-reel tape player, and the first thing I did was push record and go, hello, you know, testing, one, two, three, testing. And, And so then I play that back and I hear my voice, and what's my response? I don't sound like that. That's not me. You know, I, I mean, in my head, I sound like James Earl Jones. You understand? In, in my head, I, I, I've got a radio voice. I, I sound like I should be on television. In your head, you know, I sound like Daffy Duck. You know, we just don't hear ourselves the way other 
people hear us. If we could just listen to ourselves. If you had to listen to you talk, I think you'd probably push you off a cliff. So, uh, a, a guy named Gordon who, who says that 20 years ago, 20 years ago, he was in a conversation with an older man in his church that's now gone on to be with Jesus. He's talking to an older man, uh, a very wise Christian man. And in the midst of the conversation, a name came up, a, a guy that they both went to church with. And when that man's name came up, Gordon just started talking about him. Honestly, he said some, some really kind of ugly things about him, but he thought that the older man would think it's funny. Gordon realized very quickly that the older man wasn't laughing with him. And, and then the older man said, Gordon, I, I love you. But anybody who says they love God should not talk like you were talking. Thing is, Gordon says, 20 years later, 20 years later, before he talks, he hears that man's voice in his head still saying, Gordon, I think that somebody who says they love God probably wouldn't talk like you're talking. It's amazing that Gordon was able from that point on to hear himself the way other people would hear him, to hear the ugliness in it and the meanness, and the way the older man was able to see this is a contradiction. I don't understand how you can say you love God and talk like that. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this ought not be. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a bitter spring. The message that James has is really simple but so important. That, that, that the words you use, your tongue, your mouth, it, it reveals your heart, but it also steers your heart. And you simply have to get control of it. You may not listen to yourself the way you talk, but, but the rest of us, we have to. And we're asking you to, to listen. L listen even as you talk. Listen to what comes out and, and ask yourself, would a person who says they love God, a person who says they love God, really talk the way we talk? We praise God with this mouth, and then we run people down with this mouth. James says, brothers and sisters, it ought not be. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, make us all to be quick to listen and slow to speak Jesus we confess that if our mouths speak as they do it does not point well to the contents of our hearts many of us Lord we've set fires this week 
with loose words. We didn't exactly mean to hurt anybody, but Lord, we hurt people with words because we did not think before we spoke. Some of us, Lord, we do it on purpose. We know exactly what we're doing. We use words like bullets. We use words like daggers. And we intend to take others down to make ourselves feel better. God, help us. Help us to understand, Lord, the incredible danger, the incredible destruction, unpredictable, that comes from even a single stray, loose word. Some of us, as men, Lord, have nearly destroyed the souls of our wives because of the way we talk into their lives. Some of us, as parents, have destroyed our children, Lord, because we continue, Lord, to speak words of anger into their lives. As church members, Lord, some of us have done our part to rip this place into shreds simply because we will not control the hellfire that comes from our mouths. The rest of us, Lord, we just talk. We're silly. We say things we don't even know what we're talking about. We just talk. Asking you, Lord Jesus, to change our hearts, help us to control our tongues. Just make us, Lord, quick to listen, slow to speak. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.